I'm Elizabeth Slattery, and welcome to SCOTUS 101, where we break down what's happening at the Supreme Court, what the justices are up to, and other things related to our favorite branch of government. This is a special summer session edition of SCOTUS 101, and today I'm joined by my colleague, John Michael Seibler. And I'm delighted to be here. And in this episode, we're going to talk with a former law clerk to Judge Kavanaugh, Roman Martinez. But first, a few confirmation-related headlines. So the New York Times and the Associated Press filed requests under Maryland's public information law, this is kind of like FOIA's, uh, to get emails from Brett Kavanaugh's wife's work email account. Ashley Kavanaugh is the town manager for Chevy Chase Village in Maryland, and the news sites are looking for emails uh, with words like abortion, liberal, gay, federal society, and others. I have to say, this is a new low for for a Supreme Court confirmation fight. You know, we're used to mudslinging and pot shots taken at the nominee, going all the way back to uh, the um, unsuccessful confirmation of Robert Bork when, you know, reporters were digging through his trash and going to the video store to see what uh, what movies he was taking out. But going after the nominee's wife seems like taking this to a new level and not in a good way. So I'm not exactly sure what they're hoping to find. You know, uh, do they think there's going to be an email that says something like, um, my husband will vote against XYZ if the Federalist Society uh, tells President Trump to select him. You know, I just I think that's ludicrous. And particularly if you're familiar with Judge Kavanaugh's record as a judge, um, anything that's going to come out in an email is really not relevant to the assessment of what kind of justice he's going to be. You know, we've got 300 plus opinions that we can look at. And I think that's what we should be focused on. Maybe they just need more to read. (laughs) They do. But along the same lines, Senate Democrats are still fighting to get as many documents from Kavanaugh's tenure in the Bush White House as they can. And our colleague Tom Jipping has had a great article on NRO's bench memos talking about their demand for more documents. In it, Tom points out that a lot of Senate Democrats already announced they would oppose Kavanaugh. Some even did so before they even knew who Trump would pick. So (laughs) slogging through the millions of documents that they requested that have little bearing on how Kavanaugh approaches the law seems like just another delay tactic. Instead, the senator should be focusing on evaluating the 300-plus opinions that Kavanaugh has written as a judge. And Tom, in his article, summed it up really nicely. He said, quote, so here's the current state of confirmation play. Senators and groups that already oppose Kavanaugh are demanding access to the least relevant part of his record, much of which was available during the extensive scrutiny he faced for his appeals court appointment. If that's not obstruction for its own sake, what is? Close quote. And we'll tweet Tom's full article from the SCOTUS 101 account for you to read later. We recently spoke with a former law clerk of Judge Kavanaugh's. Ramon Martinez is a partner at Latham & Watkins, and he served as a law clerk to Judge Kavanaugh in 2008 and 2009. Ramon, thanks for joining us. Hi, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. So you clerked early on in Judge Kavanaugh's tenure on the court. What was it like clerking for him at that point? Well, it was it was really uh, it was really a lot of fun. You know, I I had met Judge Kavanaugh a couple years uh, earlier before I had even gone to law school uh, when I was serving on the uh, on the National Security Council staff at the White House, and so I'd seen him a little bit uh, in his prior iteration, his prior role when he was serving as staff secretary. And there, he was sort of known throughout the White House as the consummate staffer, and uh, it was fun to come and, and clerk for him where he had transitioned from, you know, a very senior staffer to a principal in his own right. And and so it was, it was a lot of fun to work for him. Do you feel like he had already hit his stride as a judge at that point, or was he still kind of learning the ropes? 
Well, I think looking back, you know, you you uh, you see that. I think it was I was his, in his third class of law clerks, so in a sense, it was early in his tenure. But he had just come out with the uh, one of his really big decisions, and maybe the first really big one that that um, that got a lot of attention, which was his decision in the PCAOB case, mm-hmm. um, where he you know he did a lot of careful thinking about the uh, the president's authority to control the executive branch, um, and, you know, made a lot of waves with that very interesting decision. So I think he had, he got that one under his belt and he was, he was well on his way at that point. What were some of the highlights of your time clerking for Kavanaugh? You know, I think, uh, I think there were a lot of them. I'm not sure that there were specific events as opposed to, um, different things that we would do in chambers just to make the experience, um, you know, a really special sort of apprenticeship, uh, experience. I think the the things that I remember the best, uh, first of all, just preparing for cases. Judge Kavanaugh had a wonderful style, uh, and still does, as I understand it, of being very inclusive and collegial with his law clerks, trying to get them involved in his decision-making process. And so we would obviously put papers together, and we would write him a, a short bench memo and make sure he had all the materials. But it's not like he would just go disappear, study them, and then show up at oral argument. That would be sort of the first step in in a process of a discussion with his law clerks, both in advance of the argument and sometimes after the argument as well. And so he'd get, gather us all around in his office, and we'd talk through the issues, and you know we'd be sort of playing devil's advocate with one another, and we'd be coming up with the best arguments on both sides and really hashing it all out with him. And it was all part of his deliberative process to hear the competing points of view, to fully think through what the pros and cons were on all sides and, and come to his own decision about, about you know what the result should be in the case. Uh, so that was one thing that I take with me. I think the other thing was uh, he used to love to take us out to lunch. Um, uh, well, we would we would all we would all pick up our own tabs, but we would all we would all go out to lunch with him at a at a dive sort of a dive restaurant a block away called My Brother's Place. Oh yeah, and uh, and it was a lot of fun. We'd we'd talk about the law, we'd talk about his career, we'd talk about what we wanted to do in the future, and uh, you know, looking back, that was one of the one of the great memories of the clerkship as well. It's so, great to picture uh, Judge Kavanaugh at my brother's place. <laughs> yeah. Did did you pick up any funny stories during your clerkship that you could share? Um, you know, there were a few that 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 uh, that that I remember. I'm not sure this is the uh, the best forum to share them. I will say, you know, one of my co-clerks and I, the D.C. Circuit's a very very busy place with a, an important docket and a busy docket. But on some days when we got lucky, it wouldn't be too busy. Um, and so one of my co-clerks and I, Richard Ray, uh, who's now a, a professor out in California, he and I, uh, we sort of stashed a uh, chessboard. In chambers, and if we if we had a, a small break in the action, we would sometimes go and play a quick game or two of chess. Um, and one time, I don't, I'm not sure Judge Kavanaugh was aware of this, but one time he kind of burst into the conference room looking for someone and came upon us playing chess, and it was very <laughs> taken aback by the whole thing. Uh, Judge Kavanaugh is a is more of a baseball fan than a chess fan, but uh, I think he appreciated that we were there. He knew we were doing our work. He kind of, you know, sort of. Didn't interfere with our game. Uh, you know, he's a competitive guy, and so later he he was sure to ask us who had won and who had lost. Um, but I just remember thinking, you know, whoops, I'm not sure how he's going to react to that. Um, but he he was ultimately uh, supportive as long as we got our work done. That's great. So another former clerk uh, has told us about how Kavanaugh likes to take his clerks out to a Nats game. Um, are there any other traditions uh, that that you were a part of when you were there? 
You know, the Nats tradition, the, the annual Nats game is a lot of fun. And, and one of the things that's striking about it is just the amount of time that the judge puts into planning the whole thing. You know, he's sending the emails out. He's collecting RSVPs. He's telling everyone to bring their, you know, $23 and reimburse him for for the tickets. We're always in the, the cheap seats, but then we just congregate in, in the, uh, in one of the the, I think one of the bars or restaurants uh, in the uh, in the outfield, and you know, half the time is spent watching the game, half the time is spent catching up with one another. The other traditions that he has, he used to have an annual Christmas party um, for or holiday party for his his clerks, but the clerk family got so big that we outgrew his house, <laughs> um, and so now we do a five year reunion. Um, and the the fun the fun tradition there is. Every five years, he will get up and no notes, nothing. He will talk about each of the law clerks from the previous five years that he's had and kind of make sure everyone in the group knows who they are. And he'll tell a little story about how he got to know them, how he came to hire them. Um, and it's very, you know, it's kind of it's kind of a touching moment because it shows how much he knows about, how much he cares about his his clerks and his willingness to kind of you know treat it, each one individually and talk about each one in this room full of you know 100 people or whatever. Um, and so I think it's just a sign of of how you know how close he is and how committed he is to his clerks, which is something that we all appreciate. Yeah, that's really cool. So after clerking for Judge Kavanaugh, you went on to clerk for Chief Justice John Roberts. In what ways do you think they are similar, and in what ways are they different as judges? Well, I had two wonderful uh, clerkship experiences with with both Judge Kavanaugh and uh, Chief Justice Roberts, and there are, there are a lot of similarities. Uh, you know, they're both uh, brilliant lawyers, brilliant judges. They're both great writers. Um, they're both very hard workers. They, uh, I think they pride themselves on treating their colleagues and treating their litigants and treating their employees, including their law clerks, with a lot of respect. Um, I think they're both great ambassadors for the judiciary more generally in the way that they treat themselves and that the way they, they go out and conduct themselves in public and visit law schools and, and are sort of interacting with uh, with the outside world. I think in terms of their decision-making, I think they also are similar in that they have a clear sense of the judiciary's role and why that role is important, but also why that role is limited in our system of government. Um, and so, you know, they're both great people to work for. I think the differences are, are also, you know, there. I think I would say Judge Kavanaugh is maybe more, um, a little bit more academically minded than the chief in the sense that he will, he really cares a lot about what law professors are saying and writing on a given topic. Um, the chief has famously poked fun at the legal academy. Judge Kavanaugh <laughs> always wanted to know, um, by contrast, sort of every every law review article that's been written on the topic at hand. Um, I think that the Judge Kavanaugh is maybe a little bit more sort of uh, self-consciously committed to principles of textualism and originalism. The chief can be a little bit more pragmatic. Um, and it looks like, you know, the other main difference is I think Judge Kavanaugh tends to write separate opinions, um, concurrences, dissents a little bit more frequently than the chief does. But that may just be a function of, of the fact that the chief's on the Supreme Court and uh, Judge Kavanaugh, at least until now, has been on the, the D.C. Circuit. At least until now. <laughs> um, well, you also worked in the Solicitor General's office and you've argued, I think, seven cases at the Supreme Court. Very impressive. So I've heard from other alumni of the SG's office uh, about their superstitions or pump up songs or other pre-argument preparations. Do you have any rituals? I have uh, I have a number of, of sort of rituals and uh, I guess techniques or things that I like to do before argument. But the most important one 
um, is, uh, is I get to use my secret weapon, which is my, my wife, uh, Dace Caldwell, <laughs> now Dace Caldwell Martinez. She's a former uh, lawyer. For, uh, she was at Gibson, Dunn & Crutcher, and she did a lot of appellate litigation there. And she is now retired from the practice of law, but uh, I get her involved, and she's gracious enough to help me out in preparation for every oral argument. So in addition to the moot court uh, experiences that I like to set up in the office or in the SG's office when I was there. I also get to do the home moot court. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of like, kind of like the office moot court, except I, I tend to be in my pajamas and, and the chief justice is drinking a glass of wine as we go through the, uh, the issues. That's really great. The mooting never ends. So you exactly. don't have uh, like a lucky tie or a, a special breakfast you always have? You know, there's no there's no special breakfast or anything like that beforehand. You know, when I was in the SG's office, you know, we I, I'd get dressed up like I was going to a fancy a fancy you know late morning wedding mm-hmm. uh, in in the uh, in the the cutaway of the tails. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know the the main tradition I've had lately is the post argument uh, tradition, which is post argument lunch with any members of my family who've been kind enough to show up, show up to root me on. Um, and so we always go out for, for a big pizza lunch and it's a nice <laughs> time to unwind. Um, on the way to the argument, I do like to, I do like to listen to some music to pump me up. Uh, sometimes it's patriotic music. Uh, more recently it's, it's, uh, you know, some of the, the act one songs from Hamilton. Um, <laughs> earlier in my career it was Eminem. So you Eminem. Know, like, oh, eclectic wow. Mitch. <laughs> That's great. So uh, turning the conversation back to, to Judge Kavanaugh, have you ever argued before him at the D.C. Circuit? I've not had the chance to argue in front of him. You know, I had a, I've, I've argued a number of cases there, but have never uh, have never had the luck of that that draw. Although I can tell you, I think if I were to, to go before him, and hopefully I'll have the chance to argue in front of him uh, as a Supreme Court justice. But I have a feeling he'd, he'd give me a pretty hard time. Um, that's that's how the chief was uh, when I argued <laughs> in front of the chief. I, 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 I will say that uh, although I haven't argued in front of him, I did have one case in which we were sort of representing a position that was opposite to one a position he had taken in a case. Um, this is when I was in the Solicitor General's office, and we were de- defending an agency action taken by the EPA. And we had prevailed in the D.C. Circuit, but Judge Kavanaugh had dissented. Um, and so when the other side appealed, you know, they were advancing the Kavanaugh position and we were defending, uh, I think it was Judge Garland's opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very contentious, but I was, I was hoping to uh, go head to head and, and prevail against Judge Kavanaugh. And it turned out that that's not how, uh, that's not how it ended up. So <laughs> we, we lost, uh, Judge Kavanaugh won five to four. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so I guess I'll have to, uh, I'll have to try to persuade him to get him to rule my way, uh, hopefully next time. Yeah. So. Looking ahead, if he is confirmed, do you think that Kavanaugh will be an active questioner during oral argument? I do think he will be. You know, that's that's been his practice on the D.C. Circuit. He's very well prepared for argument. He has uh, questions that he he's interested in getting the answers to. He likes to probe counsel on both sides and, and sort of put the hardest questions to them. You know, I think, I think that's one of the things that makes him a, a really great judge. I think you know, one of the things that he does at oral argument, which I appreciate, and I think litigants appreciate, is whenever he's asking his questions, he's doing, he's he's putting the questions because he's interested in the answer, and he's testing his own thinking about the case and testing the various legal theories. He's not trying to play gotcha or mm-hmm. hear himself talk or try to make anyone look bad or anything like that. And so I think that'll that'll be, uh, you know, he'll, he'll bring that same same approach to to the bench at the Supreme Court. 
That's great. So more uh, Neil Gorsuch than a Clarence Thomas at the Supreme Court. <laughs> I, I, I think he will be. Uh, I think he'll be pretty active. So uh, as you mentioned, Judge Kavanaugh writes very frequently on the D.C. Circuit. Uh, you know, writing separately often. Um, if confirmed, do you think he'll? He'll strike out alone uh, and and write a lot of concurrences and dissents, as we've seen with with Justice Gorsuch, and of course, have we seen as we've seen with Justice Thomas over the course of his career. Well, you know, it's it's always hard to know in advance, but I suspect that what he would tell you is that uh, that he's hoping to write a lot of majority opinions and maybe have fewer need for dissents. Um, <laughs> I think I, I think at the D.C. Circuit, you know, he has written a lot of dissents and, and concurrences. Um, I think part of the the goal sometimes of, of those separate writings is to is to try to clarify the law or clarify issues that that sometimes the majority uh, opinion isn't able to get to or fully explore. And I think one of the value uh, one of the va- important things you get out of doing that is to is to you know introduce new theories or new thinking about an issue into the public debate, into the academic debate, and you know into the conversation at the Supreme Court level. I think there might be less of a need for that um, once once he's at the Supreme Court, um, but I think he will be able to be persuasive in other ways with the, with the justices, and and you know so so maybe he'll his his views will show up in in the majority opinions there, and there'll be less of a need to write concurrences and dissents. Well, we certainly look forward to uh, to that hopefully happening soon. Well, Ramon, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to SCOTUS 101. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, and please leave us a rating if you enjoy listening. Please follow SCOTUS 101 on Twitter at SCOTUS 101. You can also email us at SCOTUS 101 at heritage.org with questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes. Well, JM, thanks so much for joining me this week. Oh, thank you, Elizabeth. You've been listening to SCOTUS 101, executive produced by Elizabeth Slattery. Sound design by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit heritage.org.